0: So I'm going to talk about the scandal of Christmas. No, Santa has not been accused of inappropriate workplace behavior, at least not yet. But the event that we have just finished celebrating, and I guess to some degree still are celebrating, the birth of the Messiah, when you stop and think about it, it is scandalous. Back in 1948, I don't think there's anybody here that remembers that. uh, Regardless of what Kirk might say, I don't. Um, Okay, there there is one. (laughs) There was a son born to Queen Elizabeth II of England. An heir to the throne had arrived on the scene. The birth was announced with much fanfare. Trumpets sounded, news organizations from around the world reported on the event, and cannons fired to celebrate the birth of the future king of the British Empire. And if you watch newsreel footage from that time, you can see all the hoopla that surrounded Prince Charles, now King Charles' birth. Well, go back a couple thousand years. All of the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. The birthday of the God, Augustus, has been for the whole world the beginning of good news, Evangelion. Concerning him, therefore let a new era begin from his birth. Who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior has put an end to war? And has set all things in order. And whereas, having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. This was the announcement of the birth of Caesar Augustus. It was somewhat after the fact, but it was heralded throughout the entire Roman Empire. Most likely, the announcement was proclaimed in each city and town with trumpets and royal trappings. Now, it's not unusual for the birth of a future monarch or even the child of a president to be announced with much fanfare to a waiting world. These days, the news is on every major newscast, all of the celebrity gossip shows and publications, and, of course, the Internet. The parents have to put up with cameras and microphones everywhere. Even the birth of a child of an entertainment star is treated as an event of great historical significance. The birth of the Messiah was different, as was his life and death. You could say it was scandalous. Look at the genealogy recorded in Matthew 1st. Matthew 1, sorry. Notice who's in there. Women. Gasp. Well, remember the time period. Not only women, but women who were not exactly the Crane de la Crane in that world. We see one who became pregnant through her father-in-law. Another who may have been a prostitute. There's one who had an adulterous relationship with the king. And, of course, there is the unwed teenage mother. Not exactly an impressive resume in the eyes of most. I can see the gossip shows on, on TV digging deeper into all that. In Luke chapter 2, we see a recording of this verse. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger. That's a feeding trough, for those of you that don't know that. Because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds, living out in the flocks nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, Excuse me. Notice the contrast with the events that we talked about before, especially the birth of Caesar Augustus. There were no cameras, no reporters asking the person on the street their opinion of this momentous occasion. The mother did not give birth in a state of the art facility surrounded by people attending to her every need. And wish she was stuck with poor Joseph. She was told to go give birth in a stable, a place where animals spent their nights. Instead of a soft crib with warm blankets and maybe a heat lamp, the baby spent his first few hours lying in a feeding trough. Maybe the father was able to find clean straw for the bed. Maybe not. Now, there was a great ruckus out in the surrounding area. Angels did come and proclaim the birth of this king. But they proclaimed it to shepherds, to folks on the lower end of the ladder. Now, there's evidence that these were shepherds who kept the sheep that were used for the sacrifices. But still, they were shepherds. They didn't go to Jerusalem People magazine and give them the news. They went to people who had no social standing. People wondered at what the shepherds told them, but it doesn't seem that they went any further than just wondering. When Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus into the temple for the purification ceremony, there were no singers proclaiming that the Messiah had entered the temple. No trumpets. None of the religious leaders met them at the door and escorted them to a place of honor. The only two recorded who met them were a couple of old folks who had been told by God that they would see the Messiah. They recognized the baby, and one of them, Simeon, prophesied concerning him. And this prophecy was not about him growing up in a palace and leading the Jewish people to great victories over their oppressors, it was a prophecy of light, revelation, salvation, and glory, but also one of opposition and suffering. Anna did tell everyone she saw about this, but this too didn't seem to affect the people very much. Mary and Joseph didn't even get to choose where their baby would be born. The only reason they had traveled to Bethlehem, other than the plan of God, was because the other savior, Augustus, had decided to take a census of his empire so he could know how many people he could tax. And everybody had to go back to their ancestral town to be registered. In chapter 2 of his gospel, here's the connection with Epiphany. Matthew tells of Magi from the east possibly astronomers or astrologers from Persia, coming to find out about this new king. They had seen his star. Now, there's a lot of ink has been spilled and films have been made over just what the star was. And we don't have time to get into all of that. But they had seen a star and somehow knew from reading the prophecies that the king of the Jews would be born in Jerusalem. Bethlehem was close enough. Herod, who was known for killing relatives if he saw them as a threat, saw this new child as a potential usurper of his dynasty, and he tried to kill him. This caused Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to flee to Egypt for a few years. Somewhat of an ignominious beginning. They then moved to Nazareth, the little podunk village in Galilee, where nobody knew of the shepherds, the magi, or even Simeon and Anna. If they thought of Jesus at all, it was as Joseph's kid, who would grow up to be a craftsman, just like his father. All through Jesus' ministry, the lowly circumstances of his birth and early years kept popping up. In John six forty two and seven hundred twenty-seven, the Pharisees state that they knew where Jesus came from. You know, we know where you grew up. And it wasn't anywhere special. As far as they knew, Jesus was from the backwater town of Nazareth in Galilee. Until the Pharisees convinced Pilate to condemn Jesus to death, he wasn't even on the radar of the Roman authorities. If anyone had heard of him, they probably dismissed him as one of those crazy prophets that would pop up from time to time. Jesus was not the first one to claim to be the Messiah who was going to overthrow Rome. When we looked at the life of Joseph way back in Genesis, we saw how God works in ways that are a little different than the way we would work and that are sometimes downright incomprehensible to us. Well, he does this in the Christmas story. First, he chooses people down through the years to be in the line of his Messiah who were not necessarily what we would call stellar individuals. Then he chooses a teenage girl to bear his son without any other human being involved. Next, God proclaims the birth of the king of kings by bypassing those of power and influence and going straight to those at the bottom and the foreigners. He then sends them down to Egypt as refugees for a time. And then brings him back to live in an obscure village that was looked down upon as backward, if anybody thought of it at all. I mean, remember Nathaniel when when told we have found the Messiah, as Jesus of Nazareth, Nathaniel said, Nazareth? There's nothing good that comes out of Nazareth. That's what God was doing. I believe that God did all of this to show his grace to us. He completely bypassed the normal human way of doing things in order to show us that we're not the ones that can save ourselves. The Jews were not the ones who were going to defeat the power of the oppressor. But this one with the obscure background did so by entering death and Coming out the other side, we are not the ones who can make ourselves children of God, but this one did so by taking the punishment for sin on himself, thus breaking his power. We're not the ones who can live this life in our own strength, but it is this one who was despised and rejected by men who lives in us. So the life that we now live in the body, we live by his faithfulness. It is not the power of the kingdoms of this world that will bring about peace. But it is the one who allowed the powers to be to kill him, who will finally put an end to all conflict. The birth of Jesus the Messiah is scandalous because it forces us to look at ourselves and realize that he had to come to save us from ourselves and from sin. It's not our knowledge, not our wisdom, not our power that does anything. All that we are and all that we will be is because a baby born in a cattle stall And laid in a feeding trough with only lowly shepherds to visit really is the anointed one, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. When we truly catch hold of that and it sinks down deep in every fiber of our being, we will live lives that will be scandalous to many. They won't be able to figure out what makes us tick. And that's going to be disconcerting to them. As Erwin McManus said, to live outside of God's will puts us in danger. To live in his will makes us dangerous. May God help us to be scandalous, dangerous people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son in a way that was so totally unexpected that it's obvious that it had to be from you. And we pray that you would cause us to live lives where people look at us and say, that's got to be God. Because those people can't, can't do this on their own. Help us to live lives that, uh, that reflect your glory and uh, that do the unexpected because of what you've done in us. Help us as we go out this week to, uh, to show your truth, goodness, and beauty to the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.